Hey there! Welcome to Episode 8 of the Artist in Me is Dead podcast. I'm your host, Rhonda Willers. This episode features a conversation with Jen Angel. Jen is an artist, glaze technician at a small handmade ceramic tile company, and a manager of a community clay studio. We talk about how science theory becomes science and practice through her clay and glaze work. She also shares how it can be difficult to prioritize time in her studio despite her love of working with clay, and how the pandemic era has taken a lot of mental energy away from her creativity. As an introvert, Jen shares how she hopes her art connects with people and the importance of that connection through her art because human-to-human connection often takes more time for her to develop. Please enjoy this episode with Jen Angel. Well, hi, Jen. Thanks for (laughs) being here today so we could talk. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Um, So to start our conversation, I would like to know um, what, if any, formal art training you've had, if you could talk, kind of walk us through that experience and what you've, what you've done to start your creativity in that way. Yeah. So I, I was always really into art, um, even as a kid. Um, I remember taking every single art class that my high school offered, um, and went into college, um, as an art major. And I landed at University of Wisconsin River Falls, um, where I my my primary focus was ceramics. Um, I did a lot of painting and photography as well. And like through the connections that I made at River Falls, I also took um, some workshops at Penland School of Crafts and Anderson Ranch Art Center. And yeah, that's like kind of the formal formal stuff mm-hmm. can you tell me more about um the high school art classes you said you took everyone available what kinds of classes did you have available to you to take um so we had kind of a variety for like the size of the school I think I went to I went to high school in a really small town uh in Wisconsin um but we had we had a ceramics program so I took a couple pottery classes in high school um and a lot of like 2d like drawing painting classes and I remember there being like a 3d class um where I think we like dove into sculpture a little bit and then um I did I did AP art in high school as well what kinds of things were in the AP art class? That wasn't something that was available. So that stands for advanced placement. And that wasn't something that was available right. at my school. So I'm curious about that. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty self-guided. Like you got to, if I remember correctly, you got to choose kind of what you wanted to focus on and kind of build a portfolio. And then at the end of the semester whatever you presented your portfolio and like an artist statement and all that and then you know they they have the system of scoring it and if you get like a certain score it like qualifies for college credit yeah I think it was it was it was good practice for like 
you know, building a body of work and like writing an artist statement, which I had never done before. And mm -hmm. I think that was helpful, helpful practice for like actually going into an art career. Yeah. What kinds of art did you make for your portfolio? Like, could you describe any of the pieces that you did or the theme that you explored or question that you explored, if you remember? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I did, it was all 2D. Um, at that point, I was doing mostly like painting and drawing. I hadn't really gotten into clay yet. Um, I mean, I had, but it wasn't like what I wanted to focus on at that point. Um, and I remember um, I had... I had started drawing these characters that were like people with like eyeballs <laughs> and like in place of their head, it was just like an eyeball or like <laughs> an anatomical heart or like this weird stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's kind of funny to look back on now because I, I can see like the connection to like the work that I have made more recently. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was kind of about like how, about how like the eyes are like the windows to the soul <laughs> and, like, <laughs> um, just about like emotion and feeling and how like you can like see that in, mm -hmm. in people I, yeah. <laughs> it's so but it's so interesting and we'll talk about this later but it's interesting how that exploration well it started from what we might call a cliche place with that, you know, like the eyes are the window to the soul. Yeah. But at the same time, like you've really evolved that thought into a more personal exploration. And that's, we'll talk about that a little later on, but I'm, I'm excited about that. And it's fun to see those connections. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So I have a question then when you were a child, like before high school, what kind of like, memories do you have of your own creativity or your own inclinations to make or do things that were maybe considered art artistic or even just a, a general propensity to make did you have that um yeah I like I said like I always wanted to be an artist like I remember being like a very young and people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up and I would say artists and I like you know when we would go places like I always had a coloring book with me <laughs> to like keep mm -hmm. me occupied and um I, yeah I just remember drawing a lot and yeah it was it was always something that I enjoyed and wanted to do so did you have any examples of people who were artists in your lives or like how did you, or was this just like a true internal, like, I know this is what I want to be kind of experience for you or thought? Yeah, it, it was more internal. I, no one in my family was really into art or any, anything creative, really. I guess my grandma was very crafty. I remember like as a kid, when I would go to her house, we would do a lot of like crafts and like mm -hmm. I don't know if these are still a thing but I remember <laughs> they're like little like plastic beads that you put on like a little template and then you iron them and they oh yeah together we we did a lot of those <laughs> they're still um, around I think they're called perler beads 
Oh, what, yeah. my, my yeah. daughter just brought home a little flower that a friend made for her as like a gift Cute. yesterday. <laughs> so they're definitely <laughs> still <Nice>. alive and, <laughs> and being <Okay>. used. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I remember like my grandma and I would do like crafty stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, that was kind of it in terms of like my, like, I guess outside exposure to it um I remember my mom always telling people like oh I don't know where she gets it from because like I, I I can't even draw a stick figure you know like that kind of thing <laughs> yeah and it's like obviously you know it's not like a I don't know it's a skill and it's a practice. <laughs> you know? Yeah okay talk a little bit more about that because I think that is actually a really I was going to ask you um to follow up on an earlier thing about how you define the term artist, what does that look like in your head? What did it look like? What does it look like now? What did it look like before? But also what you just said about your mom and this like stick figure and that you're like, it's more, it's a skill. It's a practice. Tell, can you tell us more about that? What does that, what does an artist mean to you as a title, but like expanding it out? Like, what is it? Um, that's a good question. (laughs) Um, I don't know that I've thought about it like that before, but I guess, I mean, I think of an artist as someone who makes things, I guess, and that, like, in terms of, like, that definition, that's, like, such a wide, a wide, like, broad category, you know, like, Mm-hmm. that can include like cooks and like you know like artists in the way you typically think of them as like you know people who draw or paint or like make sculpture um just people who make things I yeah guess. And, um which is so many so many every, I mean, everyone makes something at some point in their life and like in terms of like it being a skill and a practice and something that you like develop it's not I, I've never really thought of it as something that you just wake up one day and you have this talent you know like yeah I and you know I'm teaching pottery classes and people are like you know it's hard and <laughs> people struggle mm-hmm. struggle in the beginning um and people I just tell people like yeah it takes it just takes a lot of practice to skill that you learn and mm-hmm. like anyone can do it you just have to like sit down and do it <laughs> to get better at it to like use so. the example of bike riding because people there's the cliche like there's a lot of cliches around learning to ride a bike but there's also a lot of truth around that too. Like, let's take the example of throwing on the wheel that you mentioned. And it is like, anyone can truly learn how to do that skill. Like you mm-hmm. can learn to make a object that will hold something like a cup or a bowl. Bowls are easier than cups, but you can learn how to do that. It does just take that practice. But I wonder why. I wonder why we tell ourselves so often, we meaning like kind of the collective whole of humanity, we tell ourselves that something like that is not for us or that we might not be capable of it 
where we probably don't tell ourselves very often, like we can't learn to ride a bike. You know what I mean? Like, why do we think we're, we're, it's more possible to ride a bike than it is to sit down at a pottery wheel and learn how to throw a pot? To me, the bike riding seems a hell of a lot, hell of a lot scarier though, right? Like, I mean, it yeah. requires a helmet, <laughs> you're, like, you're on two yeah. wheels, you have to balance or else your body is going dangerous. to get hurt, right? <laughs> your body's going to get hurt. But yet we're, we're like, oh yeah, everyone's going to learn. Like at age five, you're going to learn to ride that bike or before. <laughs> yeah. I've never thought of that. I get, I, I don't know. I wonder how we help people with that mindset. Hmm. I think maybe it's like people think of artists as like a like a different like category mm. in a way. Like, you know, maybe some people are like art, like maybe drawing is like a hobby, but they're like, oh, I'm not an artist. It's just it's just a hobby. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I w- I think what you said about it being a category, that's an interesting observation that people put the skill of art making, like drawing into a category of, it's a thing of a category of talent. Maybe like you mentioned earlier too, like you, people think you have to have talent, inherent talent in order to do it. Mm -hmm. But the reality is you can actually learn the skill that backs the action. If you give yourself enough time and, and practice, do you, because you mentioned earlier that your family, no one in your family was like really largely creative or as, or artistic and your grandmother did crafts when you chose to continue to pursue art through formal training and even now as your life, what kinds of reactions or responses does your family give you about that decision, if any at all? Um, there's been like mixed, mixed reaction. Um, my mom has always been very supportive. Um, but there, I remember when I was in high school and like applying for college there were a few people who were like oh well like you can't get a job doing art you should like go to school for something more practical and just do art on the side until you can like make a living off of it and um I (laughs) I'm not a very like spiteful person but I always (laughs) kind of had that in the back of my mind and was like, I'm going to prove them wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have, and that feels good. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So tell us about that. So tell, tell us about what you're doing now. So how long have you been out of school? We'll say formal training. I'm always kind of interested in that length of yeah. time. So I graduated in May of 2017. So it's been almost five years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So five years. And then what are you doing now? So right now I work at a handmade ceramic tile company and I work in the glaze department. Um, so I do a lot of 
like I glaze all the tile and I do a lot of like color development and like um we do some like historical like matching projects like replication so I do like color matching for that um mm. and with I mean with glaze if anyone isn't familiar it's not like mixing paint and where the color like kind of happens right before your eyes it's a lot of like chemistry and like you add these different colorants to the glaze and then put them in the kiln and these different things happen with the chemistry to like determine the color so it's a lot of it's a lot of science and art and it's it's pretty cool and okay so I give like us it and I'm glad I get to do it <laughs> I'm so glad you get to do it too because I know you love that part of it could you tell us just for an example for fun like, let's say you're trying to match a medium tone green. What might be some of the colors that you, the colorants that you work with to build that green color just as a random, so people can kind of get the science sense of what you do. Right. So usually green uh, is made with copper, copper carbonate or copper oxide. Um, and that, that kind of well, depending on what what kind of uh, materials are in the glazed base, it usually gives like kind of a medium, like warm, like like mm, like pine green, I guess you could mm-hmm. call it. Um, there's also stains, which are like manufactured materials, um, and they come in like a wide range of colors, like light mint green to like a deep forest green and everything in between Um, Mm -hmm. and those are we use those sometimes they're a little more predictable than like copper because they're not like copper is like a naturally occurring material that's like mined out of the ground and the stains are manufactured in labs they're a little bit more predictable Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and no it's so cool because I think I remember I had a conversation (laughs) with uh, a person from this area where I live. And I had shared with them some of the chemistry behind ceramics and building colors. And they had said to me like, well, if I knew that was all part of it, I would pay a lot more for ceramics. And I was just like, Mm. well, I won. So then I felt like, oh, there's a need to share with people the chemistry and the science behind what we do. And and, and not because it's about validating what we do, but it is because it's about educating people yeah. about what we do, because it's a really unusual, I say we, because I'm in this field of ceramics too, but it's an unusual um, kind of like niche that people don't know about, that they don't know that that comes into play in the work or it can, it doesn't, I mean, you don't always have to know the chemistry, but it definitely helps. Yeah. You need to know yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting that someone said that they would pay more if they knew that was part of it. That's really interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I think especially with ceramics, there's so much science behind it. Even if you don't get into clay's chemistry, just like the science of like how how clay works and like mm-hmm. what happens in the kiln and how like things change. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a time where, and maybe you experienced this too in your studies where I was in a physics class learning about um, like Venturi principle at the same time that I was doing a kiln building experience. 
and had to le- know that there were these Venturi burners. And so it was like the theory, the theory that I was learning about in physics was in the physical practical form in the kiln building at the same time. And it was so exciting because it felt like for once the theory was real and tangible and not just a theory that it, you know, is kind of out there. And I feel like some of the best learning is when those two things can line up in that way and you can see it same with like the periodic table and knowing the different elements, like what you were just sharing about copper and copper carbonate and copper oxide and understanding the difference between a a carbonate and an oxide and how fun that was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just like in terms of like my art, my formal art education, like I feel like I, I'm very much like a learn by doing sort of person. And I feel like I've gotten, I've gotten more of a grasp on these concepts through art because like I, you know, I reading about the chemistry and then like doing something that involves the chemistry and like Mm -hmm. I can understand it that way. And like, you know, with darkroom photography, like reading about like chemistry and then like doing it and like, you know, I, I did a lot of work with like, um, like human anatomy and my like sculpture. So I, mm-hmm. you know, kind of could like, like learn about those things and then like make an object that represented it. And like, mm-hmm. you, yeah, I, it's just, I don't know where I'm going with this, <laughs> but <laughs> well, I feel it's, like, yeah, the like parallel, I, right? Yeah. Like I could read about something and like all day and like sit in lectures about it and like be able to pass a test but then after I take that test all that information is just out of my brain because I don't have to like actually use it for anything mm-hmm. so I feel like le- like art and like learning about these different concepts it has helped me like you know learn more and like retain more and mm-hmm. yeah I remember one of the reasons I gravitated towards art in undergrad was because I realized it was a field where I could study anything I wanted and then make art about it. And it felt so infinite in that way then, like nothing was going to be a boundary to look at and think about and make it into something else. So let's talk about your art specifically. So you've, you've talked about that there's a relationship to anatomy as you described in your AP portfolio that there was definitely an exploration of anatomy in unusual ways. And so could you share with us about what you made even as an undergrad and then what things you're still thinking about in your work and even maybe describe um, some of the physical features of the work since obviously we're having a conversation and we're not like holding up a piece and looking at it. But if you were holding a piece and and looking at it, how would you describe it to us? Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I guess starting at like the beginning of undergrad, I, um, I think my, my focus at the beginning was more on painting. um, And I, I remember, I remember doing like some paintings about like, just like kind of depicting like anatomical forms and then and then I got into ceramics more and 
kind of shifted my focus there. I mean, I did a lot of pottery because that, I mean, that was kind of a focus in the beginning of mm-hmm. like learning ceramics, like making pots and throwing on the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of shifted to more like sculptural work um, and making like kind of like anatomical representations, like things that were like kind of referencing organs without being like super specific. Mm-hmm. And then um, I got I got really into place chemistry at a point <laughs> at a point there and was like trying to figure out how to how to make glazes that like could kind of enhance these sculptural forms that I was making and so mm-hmm. I I made I made some glazes that were like very like bubbly and crusty and kind of like gross looking <laughs> so mm-hmm. kind of, that was kind of a kind of a thing I was after like a kind of like attraction repulsion sort of mm-hmm. thing was that and a then, thing both visually and conceptually for you looking at like attraction and repulsion? I think so. I think, um, I, yeah, I, I think that's kind of like what is really interesting to me about anatomy. Like it's, it's kind of gross. Like if you think <laughs> about like, like, I don't know, like bloody organs that are just hanging out in your body. Like that's, <laughs> when I think about it in that way, I'm like, oh, I don't like that. But then it's also super interesting, like how all these systems work together and like, mm-hmm. you know, um, so yeah, I'm like grossed out by these things, but also like super fascinated. And I want to like, I want to, I want to like know more and investigate more, but also it's like, oh, do I? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if someone was like oh do you want to like dissect this thing I would probably say no like I don't think I I don't think I want to do that but I'll like look at like illustrations in a book or something Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah when they're they're real enough to learn from but maybe not real enough to have to like be confronted with the the grotesque right. elements of them. <laughs> yeah. juice, the juicy liquidy parts of them. <laughs> yeah. In thinking, do you, so it's been five years since you graduated. Are the same kind of questions rolling around in your head as you approach art making, or do you feel, or are there shifts that are happening and what you're curious about or exploring or or is it just like a lull at the moment of like, I'm doing this work and I'm tapped out by my glaze work or, or is it something else right now? Um, kind of a little bit of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely have not been making work consistently since I graduated because, um, you know, I have to work to pay my bills and, mm-hmm. you know, do like keep my house clean and cook dinner and all of that stuff and that just takes a lot of time and energy Mm -hmm. um but I do I do still have like a lot of ideas and like a lot of like maybe I don't know if questions is the right word but just like ideas that I want to explore and Mm -hmm. work through um 
I think, so the work that I made and towards the end of undergrad for my senior show had a lot to do with like mental health and like how that kind of connects to the physical body. Mm -hmm. And that is still something that I want to keep exploring, especially, you know, with the last two years of the pandemic, how how, like everyone has Mm -hmm. experienced a lot of mental health and probably physical like health issues mm-hmm. related to mental health or not mental health things so mm-hmm. th- yeah there's a lot a lot there to unpack and I I'm definitely thinking about stuff a lot but not necessarily like like making things about mm-hmm. it so. do you recall can is there a point at which you can recall where you felt like I'm trying to think of quite the question that I want to ask because you were, you mentioned something about it, your practice not being consistent. And I guess I, I'm curious about what in your mind does a consistent art practice look like? Um, I think in my mind and what I like would like my art practice to be like is maybe like a set number of hours each week or like a number of days every week where I like sit down and like actually make something Mm -hmm. physically make something um and right now it's not that (laughs) (laughs) I think it's it's hard it's just hard to make time for it and I I know that so many other people can relate to it Mm-hmm. into this problem um especially with clay you know because you kind of need like a designated space to work in and mm-hmm. there's a lot of like setup and cleanup and yeah it's just hard to hard to make time for that <laughs> well and clay requires that you have time to come back to it a lot of times like right. when you're working on particular ideas it's not just one day that you're trying to find some time to do it. It also means you need a day that comes within maybe two or three days sometimes after. And so how, how do you, yeah. How is it possible to prioritize that coming back to it as well? It's not just the one day. Yeah. That's been my problem. I think more than anything, cause like maybe I'll have like a Saturday off and I'll like have the energy and motivation to like go make something and then I can't finish it in a day so it's mm-hmm. like oh no when am I gonna when am I gonna finish this I have a piece right now that I started like weeks ago and I it's covered up under plastic and I like spraying it like every few days like oh <laughs> please don't please don't dry out like stay wet enough that I can come back to this I need to I need to just finish it do you know about damp boxes? D A M P, a damp box? I have seen people use them, but I don't totally know. Oh, let's just talk about that for let's talk about that for a quick minute cuz I think you need one of those in okay. your life. I had to make Probably. them. Yeah, I had to make them when I think it was when I had my first child. I feel like that's when I had to do it. Um, so you just need like a like Rubbermaid or whatever rubber like plastic tote and plaster. Mm -hmm. And you just pour a slab of plaster. That's maybe 
three inches thick on the bottom of that tote and just, you need the lid too. And then you wet that slab of plaster so that it's saturated with water, but not so that there's water sitting on top of it. So if there's water sitting on top of it, it doesn't soak in, just dry that off with like a towel. And then you put your piece in there and put the lid on it and it will keep it moist in that box for quite a while. And you just have to go back and spray Mm. it less frequently than you have to spray it when it's wrapped up in plastic. It's like, I think I have some pieces in mind currently that have been there since November and this is January and they're still soft enough to work with. Yeah. I need to, I need to do that. (laughs) That might help. It'll help extend the number of days between when you start something to when you have to go back to it. It's a little, for sure. A little hack as my kids call them. But it is hard. I mean, I, I do, I fully acknowledge and recognize my own challenge in what you're describing to this, being able to come back to the work. It sort of presents you with like, do you change your work so that it accommodates the amount of time that you have? Or do you figure out like strategies like we were just talking about with the damp box to be able to extend your object so that you can keep the process that you want or both? Or something yeah. else. I think lately, like lately, it's in like the last few years. I have, <laughs> I, I have shifted towards like making pots um, because you know I can I can the way that I make mugs I can usually make them in one in one sitting. Um, so I've I've been making more of like functional like pots lately rather than sculpture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that also is like, um, when I make a pot, like a mug, for example, there's like kind of like a formula to it, you know, Mm -hmm. like I know that it's a cylinder with a bottom and a handle and I, I can make that, um, but with the sculpture, um, like a lot of it just takes a lot of thought and like you know, maybe I'll sit down with like kind of a loose idea of what I want it to be. But then like, you know, as I'm working, maybe I'll realize that like, oh, I need to like, like build this part differently or, you know, I have to like Mm -hmm. make half and then come back to it later. Or like maybe the conceptual part of it will kind of like not be all the way there when I start out, but Mm -hmm. it might kind of like like shift as I'm working on the piece um hmm. so yeah I think you know the pandemic has kind of taken a lot of like mental energy and I don't always have yeah I don't want to like think about hard stuff when I'm making art so I just make pots that I don't have to think too much about and It's kind here's a parallel that I'm just thinking of in this moment as you're describing it. It's like watching the easy show on Netflix that you can allow to just go to start the next episode versus watching the -hmm. show or movie that's going to require that you pay attention to the details and question things as you're watching. Exactly. And with the stress of this era that we're living through it's much easier to watch the thing that you can just let advance and say, it's like the same with the mug. Like you were describing, like 
you know what to do. There's not as many questions or decisions. There's really not as many decisions to make. It, it can go right. on more of that sort of like autopilot flow, which allows you to still make, but not have to sit in it and think about it. And yeah, as you were mm-hmm. talking critical, maybe critical thinking, <laughs> like, but yeah, there's definitely critical thinking. I don't want to dismiss making a mug as not having critical thought, because of course there is a huge amount of critical thought that goes in it. But yeah. I think it's a different kind of critical thought. Maybe. Yeah. More knowns are in there than the unknowns. Right. So when you're, so you're just, what you're describing is like so relatable, this not being able to sort of make time for it or even have energy for your creative practice right now. What does that as, as an artist and as someone who's identified themselves as an artist for a really long time in your life, how do, how do you think about yourself and how do you feel about yourself then when you're not actively making for your own creative practice? Cause I would, you know, you're making for work obviously quite a lot, but you're not making mm-hmm. for your own self. So, um, not as much sounds like, but how does that, yeah, I guess just how does that reflect or how do you think about yourself during this time then? Um, I mean, it definitely kind of feels like imposter syndrome sometimes like, Mm -hmm. oh, if I'm not like actively making work, like, can I still call myself an artist or like I mean I still do obviously Mm -hmm. but I don't know I don't know I think it's 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 weird I feel I feel like guilty sometimes like Mm -hmm. oh I should be making time for this thing that I like genuine genuinely enjoy and want to do and like I'm just not, (laughs) Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, it's hard. No, I thank you for that honesty about it because, and it's uncomfortable to acknowledge that in our own selves too, but yeah, feeling guilty for not making when you know you could be is definitely a thing Mm -hmm. and feeling like, here's a funny thing though. Like, okay. So let's say you're like meeting someone new and they're like, Hey Jen, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I work at this tile thing and I'm an artist. No one ever goes, I mean, they might say like, oh, what kind of art do you make? And then you can describe the art you make, but nobody's really ever like, did you make anything this week or like last week or in the last months or year? Like nobody ever kind (laughs) of asked that unless they're like someone looking to have you for a show, then they might ask. But most people never ask us that. But I think in our head, I wonder if that's some of, as a maker, like that's some of the internal dialogue we have, like I'm an artist. And then in our head, it's like, but I haven't made anything in three months. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've had people ask me like, oh, you're an artist. Like, what are you working on right now? And it's like, Mm. oh, I'm not really working on anything right now. (laughs) Lots of Um, ideas in my head. (laughs) That's what I'm working on. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, you could argue that that's still like working on stuff like thinking through concepts and Mm -hmm. you know I don't I don't really write or like journal about my work a lot but I know a lot of people do and like Mm -hmm. I think that that is a part of the process Mm -hmm. that people don't always 
consider part of the process. Mm-hmm. How so, about your sketchbook? Cause you, I recall you used to draw a lot. Do you still kind of draw in your, like in a sketchbook from time to time, or has that really subsided right now with, with life as it is? Um, yeah, that's subsided quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do. I'll like, if I have an idea for like a piece that I want to make, I'll like kind of like, like do like a quick little like doodle of it and like make notes about like be like written notes about like what what I'm kind of picturing um Mm -hmm. but I haven't I haven't done a lot of drawing or sketching lately Mm -hmm. have you experienced times like this before I mean not like this time that we're in obviously at the moment but times like this in your own creativity before where there's been what I call a lull where you're not making as actively like physically making, but you might be thinking about ideas, but you're just kind of distant from your practice. Has this happened before? And if it has, could you tell us a bit about that? Um, yeah, I think when I was in college, um, during the semester breaks, like winter break and summer, mm-hmm. I would usually you know, I would always tell myself that like, oh, I'm going to like keep, keep up, <laughs> you know, drawing and painting and making with clay. And I wouldn't because, you know, I had to work mm-hmm. to make money and like, you know, stuff just happens and mm-hmm. gets in the way. Um, yeah, I think it's hard. It's hard for me, especially like when I don't have like a deadline to work towards, like mm-hmm. when I when I've had like gallery shows to get ready for, I'm like, okay, I need to make like X amount of pieces by this date for this mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very deadline driven. And when I don't have anything like lined up to work towards, it's like, oh, well, I could start on this piece that I want to make, but like, that, like if I don't, it, there's nowhere for it to go right now. <laughs> and, yeah. Like, it's just hard to, it's hard to get started yeah when there's no like external motivation for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what kinds of things do you do to set up deadlines for yourself or opportunities for yourself so that you have a deadline like where do you look or what do you start thinking about when you're feeling maybe feeling that urge to like get a deadline set up what do you do um i try to apply for like like gallery like open calls whenever when they like if there's like a free um like no application fee like call for a show I try to apply to those um and whether whether it's like um like I'm submitting like an existing piece or if it's like a larger show where I would want to like make new work for um, I try to, yeah, I try to apply to those um, when I can. And I mean, those are like, it's up to someone else whether you get accepted or not. So those <laughs> are not always best, the best <laughs> way to like secure a deadline for yourself. But it's worked <laughs> for me a few times. Um, um, but even the oh, deadline right. of applying to those opportunities is part of your creative yeah. practice. I mean, that's 
that's part of what it means to be a practicing artist is to look for opportunities or think of places where you want your work to exist. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit about the spaces that you make art now that you're out of a formal space? You have, you also teach at a arts, a local art center too, right. And teach some ceramic courses. And we didn't really talk about that right. yet. Right. Yeah. So, um, after I graduated, I, um, I kind of hung around for a semester and was helping as the studio assistant so I could use the space and make work and use the kilns. Um, and then after that, I was working at a different art center briefly um, where I could make work like on the job, which was pretty cool. I was kind of like teaching and working with um, artists with disabilities. Mm. Um, and kind of just guiding them and helping them make their work. Um, and then after that, I kind of just like set up a little table in the corner of my living room mm-hmm. um, and would just, I just did what I could. Um, right now, I, I kind I have a little table at the tile shop where I can make, make work. Um, and then, yeah, I'm teaching at an art center so if I ever want to like throw on the wheel, I can use the wheels there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mostly it's just been like in my living room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'll just put put a sheet of plastic down on the floor to catch any like any clay that falls and how make big small is things on my small table? <laughs> yeah, how big? Tell us about the dimensions approximately of your table that that's your studio. We'll call it because it is. Um, it's right behind me there if you can oh see that's it, it. I can't about... see it <laughs> yeah it's about uh maybe like three or four feet wide mm-hmm. and maybe like three feet deep so it's, mm-hmm. it's an okay size it's not super sturdy it's like not ideal for clay but yeah when I'm like you know hand building pieces it doesn't you know I'm not like I don't need like a super super sturdy table right um but yeah it's enough to like work on like one or two mugs at a time and Mm -hmm. so what's on it right now is your is it set up like if you walked over to it you could start working at it or would it require like some move like moving of things um right now it's just got like some junk and bills and stuff piled (laughs) on it I just recently moved into this apartment like three weeks ago so it's not really set up for working at yeah. Um, and I'm, I think I'm going to try to keep most of my clay stuff at my, at my job at the tile shop. I don't, I kind of want to stay away from having clay in my living space just because yeah. it gets messy. And I have a cat who, <laughs> who really likes to be like where I am all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> before he would like, I, I, I was trying to work on a piece once and he just like, I had a slab of clay out and he just like sat down on top yes. of it and was like, you're going to pet me and not work on this. <laughs> so that's also a challenge to working in your, in your house. <laughs> it totally is. I have, well, I have one indoor cat now, but I had two. Um, and I remember the first time I put a towel over some art over a piece, like in my <laughs> studio and I left the door open. There's a closed off section 
And I came in and they clearly had laid on the towel, both of them. And I was just like, oh, all that time and work is gone now. So now I've learned, don't put the towel on while they're in the space and make sure they're out of the space before you leave. (laughs) Yeah. Those cats. Yeah. I love them, but they're challenging sometimes. They are. They totally are. So I have a question about your work. Um, like if you could take some, a moment to just imagine like a dream kind of opportunity or a dream work or body of work that you'd like to make, can you see it or tell us about it? Like what's something you would really like to do with your, your art practice or your art objects? I think I think I I would really like to have like a solo show like in a gallery Mm -hmm. um, with like a uh, like one like conceptual body of work Um, my my senior show for my BFA was like Um, a body of work that kind of had to do I kind of mentioned it before had to do with like mental health and like the connection to like physical like your physical body Um, and I think it it was that work was it was important for me to make because I was like kind of working through some of my own things and a lot of people told me like afterwards that like they really connected with it as well Mm. Um, and that felt really good to hear. And I think I want to like continue like exploring those concepts and like presenting presenting things in a way that people can like connect with and like kind of like I guess find pieces of their selves in, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um could you just describe that bit of your thesis show for people? Because you had this best, it was like specimen jar inspired. Um, but yeah. you talk about what you explored in it. Yeah. Specifically. So all, yeah. Yeah. I made a bunch of these, like what I call, I call now I call them these emotional specimen jars. Um, so I, I made a bunch of these ceramic objects that were like kind of referencing like anatomical forms and like just like weird like lumps and like weird like growth looking things and I I so some of the like emotions that I was thinking about were like um, you know like anxiety depression shame um, guilt betrayal like all all these different like feelings and I. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of it in terms of like what what would these things these emotions look like if they were like in our bodies and like mm. a surgeon like took them out and put them in a jar to like preserve mm-hmm. and like study them mm-hmm. so that's that was my senior show I made all these jars and had them in this like little cabinet of curiosities um and I I, I kind of want I kind of want to keep exploring that and like what other kind of specimens can I make and Mm -hmm. um, maybe like how else 
how else can I present them? And yeah, I have I have more ideas that I still need to kind of like work through. Yeah. In terms of that. Do you know about Brene Brown at all? She's a researcher. Yeah, the shame researcher. Yeah, she's a shame yeah. researcher. And her newest book that came out is called Atlas of the Heart. And it's all about mm-hmm. emotions. And it's about all the different kinds of emotions we experience as humans. And I remember something she shared, like on the, like whatever her interviews for the book, but um, the press tour kind of stuff. She shared that when they were doing some analysis of some data that they had that most adults, I think it was, could only identify three emotions that they experience. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. what you're describing, I'm like, I think <laughs> you need this. I think you need this book. Um, because yeah. one you experience obviously, and can describe way more than three emotions, but this book has a really interesting way. I'm just working my way through it now of, um, the way she groups emotions, they did it thematically. So it's like, places we go when we feel da da da. And then it talks about the different emotions in that particular category. Um, Mm. yeah, I feel like that would be a rich resource for doing more with this, with what you've done already. Yeah, definitely. There's also, I've been, uh, I don't want to say researching, but I've like kind of stumbled across a few, (laughs) a few things. Um, where like I think it's like kind of ancient Chinese medicine where like certain feelings would have would like affect different parts of the body and you know if you want to like fix this this like emotional or mental problem then like you do acupuncture on this part of your body or whatever and yes I don't obviously I don't know a ton about that but I think that's super interesting um Jen this is so weird I did for a speech class in high school, I did a presentation on that, on Chinese really? acupuncture <laughs> and like, how they, like, this is such a random, like, I must've been really weird in high school, like giving my <laughs> peers a talk about Chinese medicine, <laughs> but it's totally so cool though. <laughs> but yeah, it would be so, that would be such an interesting, could almost see so much of the work that you could make with that inspiration mm-hmm. and a source why don't you want to call it research um because I have I I saw on like an Instagram post <laughs> and <then> I <laughs> kept scrolling so I haven't like actually spent like much time like uh, like looking into this thing but mm-hmm. I want to I just haven't yet there's all not like related to that um I was listening to this podcast recently um it's called the breakdown with my Bialik. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. They talk about like a lot of like mental health and like, you know, physical connections. And there was an episode um, and they were talking about like this person was having like, like getting like rashes on her arms, like after she had maybe gotten into a relationship or was like ending a relationship. I don't remember. Um, but then um, the host was like, oh, have you read uh, this book by, I think that her, her name was Louise Hay. It's called Heal Your Body. Um, and she talks about like, it, like if you have like, you know, like physical, 
like pain or whatever in this part of your body it means like you're feeling held back in your relationship or something like that and like mm-hmm. I went and looked at like there's like a little thing online that kind of breaks down all of the like physical things that she talks about and like all of the things mm-hmm. the, like physical things that I've had and the emotional things connected to it were like right on point and I was like whoa <laughs> that's <laughs> fascinating and I need I haven't read the book but it's on my list and I like that that kind of stuff is just re- so interesting to me how like mm-hmm. our bodies and minds are so connected but like we're not taught that we're not taught that yeah I want to that's something that I really want to explore more and like show people with my with my work Mm -hmm. so I just want to say that Instagram and other online places can be great starts for research (laughs) like you can find things and then it's just what brings it to the next level is doing the next steps of finding additional sources and I just it's a great access point that I like to think that it's useful. Yeah. yeah I know I'm it's not useful. trying to like dismiss it. I yeah. Just... <laughs> You're just like, I spent 30 seconds on this idea right. and now I'll try to find yeah. my, my scene, my like, um, high school speech for you and I'll send you my notes. That I'm sure there's accurate still today. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause I remember in that speech, it was all about like chi flow in your body and like moving the energy around, which yeah, people talk more mm-hmm. openly about now, I think, than they did then. Yeah. For sure. Um, ooh, this is I can't wait to see. I would be curious too, like, like if you just started like listing emo potential emotions that you might dig into again, like that that would be an interesting starting place for you, or just a starting place, like, well, what every day, like maybe every day challenge yourself to write down like five emotions that come to mind and then just see what kind of list you build even at the end of a week. And then there's like a little, you know, there's a little something that counts towards creativity, I guess. Yeah. I try to make, I think I try to trick my own self that way with little things that are just like, when I don't feel the motivation to actually get the clay out, which is ridiculous because I have a studio in the basement, but like, when I don't feel that motivation, what can I do small that will still contribute back to whatever might come next? I think that's a question yeah. I ask myself a lot. Yeah, I, I knit a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I haven't, I, I don't really consider that like a super creative thing because when I do it, I'm usually like following a pattern that someone else has made and Mm -hmm. like usually stick to like one color at a time and I don't I don't get too crazy but it is like there's something about like the repetitive motion where I can you know just kind of get into a flow and like my mind can go Mm -hmm. can go somewhere but I'm still kind of like grounded in like the motion of what my hands are doing Mm -hmm. um and I don't have to think about it a ton Mm mm-hmm but it still, it still feels like I'm, you know, I'm making something. Mm-hmm. So, Do you feel like you have yeah. the general urge to make, to do things with your hands? You've talked about that you learn from experience and that that's a place that's rich for you in that way. 
or contributes. So do you think, or do you feel the urge just in general to, to do something with your hands? Yeah, I think so. I, yes. <laughs> well, I, let's, don't, I don't really have yeah. anything to elaborate with. <laughs> no, no. And that can be it too. Like, yeah, I do. Like, that's the truth. Like there it is. Well, let's circle back to this idea of how we do, how you define what an artist is in your mind. So it's someone who makes things right. Mm -hmm. What else contributes to someone who's an artist? Like what else could you articulate about that? I want to say that like, it's, you know, an artist is someone who like puts a certain level of like thought and consideration into what they're making, but I don't know if that's necessarily true, mm -hmm. at least not for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, that might be the truth for you. Mm -hmm. Like what makes your art practice feel alive to you maybe is when you're able to do yeah. both the making and then the thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is a question I'm really curious about for people. <laughs> what is a creative challenge that you often face? in your making? Um, I, I mean, I think we already kind of talked about this. I think for me, the biggest challenge is just like finding the time and motivation to like actually sit down and like make something, you know, <laughs> um, at least lately, that's, that's the biggest challenge for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think before, like in undergrad, when I was, you know, really deep into making stuff like every single day, I think the challenge was like marrying my concepts with the forms that I was making and like finding out how to make those two things come together and work mm -hmm. in a way that made sense. Because I, I do, I, I want to make like conceptual work and stuff that has like you know like meaning behind it but it's sometimes hard to hard to figure out like how how to visually represent that or like what kind of form is going going to represent this idea or on the other hand, like maybe I'll like think of like a form that would be really cool to make, but then it's like, what is this about? <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's also a challenge. Mm. When you're talking about marrying both your concept and the form, bringing those two things together, is is your concern about how they come together more from the perspective of? what you understand from the work and see in the work and, or what someone who isn't you, like the viewer, in other words, what the viewer gets from the work. I think it's a little bit of both. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I want, I want my ideas to like come across but I also don't want them to be like specific and like this thing is about this specific thing, you know, like I want people to be able to see my work and then kind of like, you know, find, 
find a little bit of their own self in it or like their own experiences but still mm -hmm. have it be rooted in like like what I what I saw in it I don't know if that makes sense yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like yeah I want it I want it to be clear but not like in your face yeah and, and I hear you describing a desire to have it be open to someone else's own personal experience informing their connection to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There, the painter, um, April Gornick has a statement about her own work being vulnerable to interpretation and how that's important to her in the work that it, and it's, it's, it's what you're saying too, like just that it's available to others thoughts about what the work is about. And in a way, when you were saying like, you don't want it to be in a person's face or kind of maybe like direct or confrontational in that way, that speaks to like a more narrowed, focused, um, intent with the work. And you know, what else inter in, I think I'm kind of realizing in real time in a way is that work that is open for people to find themselves in it is also then about connection to each other because it's that, mm. that space where we all meet each other. Yeah. Mm. And I, I think, you know, a lot of the work that I make and have made is like, I'm thinking about like specific things in my life and experiences that I've had and kind of like working through those in my work. But I, I think that, you know, other people, they haven't had the same experiences as me, but they've mm -hmm. had, maybe had something similar and like, you know, they can kind of relate those experiences to the work as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you yeah. hit on emotions and you're exploring emotions, we all experience so many different emotions in our lives through everything, whether we can articulate what that emotion is, is a whole nother thing, but the physical representations that you are making might instead, because your specimen jars also had the word on it to the emotional word on it. And then it had the sculpture mm -hmm. inside. And I'm just thinking about as a, as a person, as a viewer, I wonder if in some cases the physical form is what I might react to first before even knowing the word mm -hmm. that's on it and how you could play with that even more in future work could be really interesting. Seeing. Yeah catch connect to it hmm. well i think where we'll head next is um i have a series of questions that i ask each guest at the end and you did answer some ahead of time for me because i put them on 
the guest page at one point, but if you want to change your answer in the moment, feel free to. So the first one is I'd like you to finish the sentence. When I don't know what to create or make, I. Um, yeah, so I, I think we touched on this already. Mm -hmm. I, so if I'm just like sitting at home and I want to make something, I'll usually knit. Um, but if I, if I am like sitting in front of some clay and I maybe don't know what to make, I will usually make a mug, mm -hmm. follow that formula. Mm -hmm. Okay. So next is I asked you to share five songs that you could listen to on repeat in your studio or anytime. And I'm going to list the songs and the artist. And then I have a question for you after. And okay. I might not get the, the names totally right. So if I say something wrong, please correct me. Um, so the first one was woman and then in parentheses reading. And it's by La Dispute. Is that correct? La Dispute. La Dispute. And mm -hmm. then Bury Me by Bayside. Five out of six by Dessa. Overbite by Sincere Engineer. Brother's Blood by Kevin, is it divine? Mm -hmm. Okay. Could you share with us how these songs contribute to your creative flow? They're just songs that I really like. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had a hard time coming up with a list because the music has always been really important to me. And I like a lot of different kinds of music. Um, and I kind of like go through like stages of like and with the seasons like I'll listen to different stuff at different times of the year um mm -hmm. so I <laughs> you gave me that question and I I thought about it for way too long <laughs> it's <laughs> like I'm just gonna pick some random songs that I've been listening to lately um so I don't I don't know that they specifically like enhance my creative practice <laughs> I just really like them um I will say about La Dispute, um, they're one of one of my favorite bands, and um, a lot of their music is like very conceptual, and like um, each album kind of like tells a story. Um, and I, I really I really connect with that aspect of their music. Um, mm -hmm. One of their albums, Wildlife, um, was the first. It was the first album I heard by them, and. Um, it kind of talks about like loss in different ways, like mm. death and like loss of relationship, like moving away. And that, um, that I really connected with. And I think their kind of storytelling and like the lyricism there kind of informs, mm -hmm. informs my work and like connects with it mm -hmm. in ways that those other songs don't, <laughs> mm -hmm. but Yeah. Well, and you're also a big um, lover of live music, if I remember correctly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a little bit of a tangent here. Could you talk okay. about just like how, what it is about live music? What's the experience that you have that you keep sort of going back for more? Um, I, I think it's it's that connection like I think mm -hmm. it feels like church in a way like mm -hmm. when you 
and I've never been religious and never really gone to church so take that for what it's worth but I feel like (laughs) when you know when you're in a crowd full of strangers and you're all like singing the same song like Mm -hmm. and it means you know maybe it's a song that means like so much to different people for whatever reason and like I don't don't know it's just like it's a feeling that I have never experienced in any other setting Mm -hmm. um and yeah I mean I've always been like a big introvert and like kind of it takes me a really long time to like get really comfortable with people and connect with people so like to be able to go to a show and like have those experiences with strangers and Mm -hmm. you know you don't even have to like have conversations with anyone or whatever but there it's like a it's a it's a special moment that everyone is participating in and sharing and I think that's really special there's a term for it actually it's called collective effervescence and I can't remember I've heard of that yeah Brene Brown talks about it in her research but it's somebody else's term and I'm trying to remember whose it is but they talk about it in terms of sporting events too and that Mm -hmm. it's this this experience of joy that comes and it's shared joy together, shared light, like levity, what you're describing too, with the live music. And it's just that the power of a collective coming together to celebrate in some way and how that does as humans bring us together. And I'm not a huge sports person. I don't enjoy watching them on TV really at all, to be honest but with a few exceptions, but if you take me to a live sporting event, I can enjoy the experience. And it's because of the same thing that you've described that happens in live music, which I adore going to live music too, but it Mm -hmm. is, it's that group, that group shared lightness and experience that is, it, it is like church because you're right in church. People sing, like if I have, I don't, I grew up going to church, but I don't go anymore. But if I go for say a funeral or something, I still tear up when people are singing together. Like I start Mm -hmm. getting weepy and then I can't sing because (laughs) I'm feeling emotional about the experience of people singing together. But I wonder, there's something so maybe ancient and deep in us about that experience of coming together to celebrate because maybe in the past, it was like from an anthropology perspective, we would come together to celebrate because we survived. And maybe Mm. that's why it feels so overpowering at times too. Yeah, that's interesting. It's making me think about your work again, because you were talking about um, exploring the like emotions and mental health and physical health of this era of the pandemic that we've been living through. And I'm wondering if like, the collect, like the, there's also like a sense of like collective grief and then also like collective celebration. Like, I wonder we don't, we haven't hit that spot where we've been able to release, release it all. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder when we do what it'll feel like. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. Well, a couple more questions for you. The next one is what brings you joy in your creative life? Um, I think when I like finish something, <laughs> um, 
it feels good to like finish something and like you know if I like put it out into the world whether that's like in a gallery or like on an Instagram post and people can connect with it and that like I think that's what that's that feels good mm-hmm. yeah back to that connecting again yeah yeah which is something I haven't really thought much about before now but mm. yeah I think that is an important part of my work for me because I I mean I, I like I said I have always been very introverted and like sometimes have a hard time like connecting with people mm-hmm. in like relationships or whatever and I, yeah I think I do put a lot of a lot of thought and care and a lot of myself into my pieces and I think and I think that's maybe how I connect more deeply with people is through Mm -hmm. through that that way Mm -hmm. and I wonder even now just after and this is just a big wonder there's not going to be a an answer most likely at this moment but just wanting to think about it more is that with that as an intentional awareness as you go into creating whatever next thing you create, I wonder how you could use that as a new driving force behind something too. Yeah. So the last one is finish this sentence. My creativity is. I said sporadic. hmm because it feels, you know, it's inconsistent and it's not, mm-hmm. not something that I do every day. Mm-hmm. What do you want your creativity to be? Mm. I don't know. I think, I think it would, it would be. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I think ideally I would like not have to work a day job and I could just, you know, make, make work every day and, you know, really be able to like spend time like doing research and you know, mm-hmm. thinking about these different concepts and like being able to incorporate those into my work. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, it's it's irregular. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. I I asked you that because sometimes when we're in the place of the thing isn't what we want it to be. So in this particular topic, like our creativity isn't exactly where we want it to be it can also be hard to know what it is that we want it to be or imagine that other thing of what it, what it could be because all we see is what it is at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I also think it's like, you know, I think for most people the the dream is to not have to work a day job and, you know, (laughs) just solely be your, have your art be like, you know, your primary source of income and Mm -hmm. you know a lot of people do have that 
and that's great mm -hmm. but I feel like it's hard to picture the like in between mm -hmm. stage mm -hmm. like you know like where do you go from at least for me like where would I go before I get to that end goal mm. you know I don't I don't I'm not sure what that looks like yeah well, that's a really good point. Just what does that, in, what does the transition look like? What happens in between where you are now and where that dream place is? Mm -hmm. hmm. Jen, thank you so much for this conversation and for yeah, talking through it with me and um, wondering and questioning along the way too, and <laughs> being willing to do that. I really appreciate yeah. you and appreciate that. Thanks. I appreciate it too. It's been, it's been nice to just take some time to think about all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do that in our regular lives, like to just yeah. stop. And remember I was taking an online class from someone over this last year and she was describing, she gives herself and she's obviously at a place where like her income isn't, her income is high enoughly generated from her creative work. Um, but she gives herself several days where she just lays on the couch to imagine what else she could do with her business. And she shared that like a story, great. right? I know. And she shared a story where like her husband was like, are you even working? And she's like, yes, I am thinking right now. And I, and I thought like, I need to like take that idea and figure out like how to have more, how to give myself time where I'm just thinking rather than feeling mm -hmm. like in order to be working towards whatever it is I have in my mind, working, like doing something that actually just giving yourself some space to think is really good too. And counts. Yeah. Maybe yeah, that'll sure. be my goal for the week. Just add some <laughs> thinking time. <laughs> uh, well, thank you again. Okay. Officially we're saying goodbye now. It's like turned okay. into a Midwest goodbye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Let's take inspiration from Jen this week. Pick an emotion and draw a sketch or make a sculpture representing that emotion. Love a particular color? Dig into some searching to learn more about the history of that color. I have some of my favorite color resources posted on Jen's episode page. Or maybe this week, what you really need is some thinking time. Set aside five minutes or more to just sit or lay down in a comfortable space and think, or maybe even go for a walk and think. Just imagine some possibilities for your creative life. What does it look like? What are you doing? To learn more about Jen's work, follow her on Instagram at jenxangel. That's J-E-N-N-X-A-N-G-E-L-L. -L. And as always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it and rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next week, bye.